This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss patient-reported outcome measures, or PROMs. With me to discuss the topic is Dr. Tim Williams, CEO of the London-based firm, My Clinical Outcomes. Dr. Williams, welcome to the program. Hi, David. Thanks very much for having me. Dr. Williams' bio is posted on the podcast website. On background, measuring quality in healthcare continues to pose numerous challenges or problems. Among others, quality measures frequently measure process, not outcomes. Measure sets differ among payers that can require providers to expend significant resources to collect and report. Payers use different methodologies in determining which quality measure should be attributed to which provider, what relationship or correlation quality performance has with utilization or spending is uncertain, such that under current Medicare pay-for-performance models, spending efficiency is rewarded despite comparatively poorer quality performance. Concerning Medicare's quality performance programming, MedPAC in June 2014, or rather in a report to the Congress in June 2014, went so far as to state, quote-unquote, Medicare's current quality measurement approach has gone off the track. Over the past few years, the use of patient-reported outcome measures, again, PROMS, has been gradually but increasingly recognized as a solution to remedy many of these shortcomings. For example, this past winter, CMS sent a record number of patient-reported outcome measures to the National Quality Forum's Measure Application Partnership for their review and approval. With me again to discuss PROMS, more specifically the use of PROMS in the United Kingdom, is Dr. Tim Williams. So with that, uh, uh, Tim, as background, Let's start with the uh, standard question. Uh, can you briefly describe uh, my clinical outcomes or how and why it was formed? Yeah, sure. So um, brief by way of background about me. I'm a, I'm a medical doctor by training. Um, worked in the UK's NHS for about four or five years uh, and then turned to the other side and worked as a healthcare management consultant also in the NHS. And it was really while working in both of these roles um, towards the end of the last decade that I became increasingly acutely aware of the widening gulf between the technology and tools that are available in our day-to-day lives uh, as contrasted with the technology and data and systems that was available to help doctors, hospitals, um, healthcare managers to treat their patients better. Um, that gulf was really starting to widen. So we, we had the original idea for MCO back in 2010, 2011, um, with the aim really of building a system that used digitally collected patient-reported outcome measures, uh, initially working with orthopedic surgeons uh, to help them uh, measure and understand the relative quality of interventions between patients, between devices, between approaches, but also then to uh, use that system to remotely follow up their patients after surgery. Um, fast forward to, to now, um, MCO uh, is, is still the same system at its root, but we are, we are a, we're a physician and patient-facing web platform um, that we configure out of the box 
to the specific needs of healthcare organisations to um, allow them to capture and track patient reported outcome measures. Um, but we've moved on and we now work in any clinical condition, um, any specialty or care setting. Um, so briefly, the way the system works is that patients, following a period, short period of implementation with a, with a new, a new healthcare organisation, patients are then asked to register or sent a link or whatever the process is locally, um, asked to register with the system, providing just enough information to us to allow our system to serve up the right measures to the right patients at the right intervals throughout their care and, and follow-up. Um, and then we automatically play data back to patients in a way that is uh, engaging for them in terms of helping them to understand the benefits or otherwise of their treatment. And we play the data on to their doctors to help them to tailor their individual care. So at its, at its simplest, providing uh, some, some guidance as to whether the doctor needs to think about seeing the patient, treating them, or think about changing the treatment pathway that they're on. Um, and then what that does is that provides a virtuous circle where patients and physicians are wanting to use the system. And then the data in aggregate uh, is then a very powerful resource for, uh, the, for the organization in terms of providing analytics about variation in outcomes across an organization between patient cohorts um, and really gives senior physicians and managers visibility on variation in outcomes to help them to identify opportunities to improve overall quality across the organization while also, of course, importantly, taking out the costs of less effective activity. Okay, thank you. So you implied the answer to my second question, that is uh, the impetus for use of patient-reported outcomes. But I mentioned several problems in the intro. I think uh, PROMS addresses several of these. What are the improvements in beyond just more efficiency in collecting quality performance, but what are the uh, advantages for the provider? And you suggested for the patient as well, but let's start with the provider. Um, well, I, I, well, I think it, it's, it's hard, to, hard almost to take, to take um, one user group in isolation. What, what's needed is an approach Fair enough. That, that, that meets the needs of, of all of those stakeholders in that, you know, in that vertical stack, you know, starting with patients at the ground floor uh, you know, and going right up. Um, there's been there's been initiatives in the UK to collect problems data uh, in a nationally mandated way uh, in certain clinical conditions that have only really had limited success because they've they've not really engaged patients uh, and of course you can't force patients to comply with a program like this um, the data's not been useful to physicians therefore they've not been engaged in it perhaps not been willing to sign the data off um, at source so I think the, you know, the challenge the challenge that we've seek to start to overcome is, is, to, is to align incentives and, and, and provide a, a solution that, you know, that meets the needs of the individual patient while also you know, gives something back at that higher level. And to be honest, navigating, navigating some of the sort of slightly opposed or com conflicting incentives of those groups you know, has, has, has been you know, some of our greatest challenge, you know, particularly when you know, we start to do, um, have commercial relationships with you know, certain uh, stakeholders in that mix and, and not others. Okay, thank you. I, I, I have this question as an aside, and, and it's subjective where I work it in, but I'll ask it here. What's been your experience with the provider community physicians in accepting or uh, taking this route where patients are reporting on the quality or the care that they receive? I will say I mentioned these measures at a meeting in D.C. last week. Let's just 
let's say the meeting was sponsored by a very large physician trade association, and I received the classic pushback um, yeah. about these measures. How how is that issue addressed and overcome? Physician hesitancy. Um, yeah, I think, so I think this is perhaps you know some of the, some of the lessons that we've learned along the way. So we we started you know back in 2010, 2011, very much as a clinical tool. You know where our the primary uh, aim we were seeking to solve, or the primary use case, was around the needs of the individual physicians, um, and you know ensuring that data was also useful for their patients. Um, what we found is that you know that it was very uh, that was challenging both from an implementation point of view because. Physicians would see their mix of patients, their cohorts, in different ways and would want to serve up different measures to different groups of patients at different points in time. So you then, uh, while you might you might um, meet their needs in terms of providing that clinical tool, you, you lost the benefit of being able to do that that comparative analytics uh, piece. Um, but it was also then a challenge that I sort of touched on earlier, you know, in terms of... Um, to, uh, in terms of uh, providing organization-level uh, value and, and what it would mean when we started to engage with medical directors of uh, of hospitals or you know or even payers uh, in terms of that engagement of, of physicians, um, you know, specific, specifically being being concerned about how data at that at that uh, macro level might be used to potentially change their practice, stop them treating particular cohorts of patients, asking questions about you know, why quality appears poor. I think what we've what we've learned is that you know, we need we need organisational level buy-in first, actually, rather than clinical buy-in. But then clinical buy-in needs to follow very closely after, and the two need to be linked um, you know, from the start uh, to, to to get success. But I think what what needs to be clear from the outset is that the organisation needs to be upfront with their kind of, with their physician community about how the tool is going to be used, how it's going to be rolled out. Um, and, a, and a stepwise approach needs to be taken. So you know, this, is, this is a new um, approach. You know, yes, it's been talked about for a long time, but you know, there aren't hard and fast rules for how this data can be used to to influence care, or how it can be used to be tied to payment or performance management. Um, but there is clearly benefits in all of those domains in having access to this data. So what we try to do is to encourage you know, our partner organizations to, to work with their physicians, to use them and bring them on the journey and say, hey, you know, year one, we're going we're gonna to work with you to implement this system. Year two, we're going to reflect with you on what data should be collected and which patients. In year three, we might start to, you know, start to ask questions about what can be done with the data and get your input on how that data needs to be shaped. But really, it needs to be done in tandem, you know, with the physicians to, you know, to ensure uh, that ongoing buy-in. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll stick a stick an asterisk on that and say the, the one difference to that is where there's where there's a national um, mandate, where there's a legal requirement for collecting this data, um, or where it's you know intrinsically linked linked to a to a contract or, or to a payment mechanism, you know from the off. So you know, that that story about slow rollout was really where the organisation was was putting in place a program like this, you know for its own for its own ends. Okay, thank you. Let's let's take an example. I always find this question uh, useful. So step me through a patient. Uh, the experience, moreover, has been in orthopedics, but uh, cardiology, uh, oncology, et cetera. But take your disease condition uh, and step me through. Uh, a patient has a certain diagnosis, has a procedure. What kind of measure or measures would they report 
you know, the classic, of course, is pain and, and functionality. But just step me through a case briefly. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll reference the classic and then we'll move on to the classic. Is, you know, as you say, is hip and knee replacement. That's kind of that's where we started in this work. Um, that's where a lot, of, a lot of programs start. It's a clean use case. Patients typically deteriorate over a period of time. They then have a very traumatic in some ways and, and a certainly expensive procedure that they recover over a period from and then they'll slowly deteriorate over the lifetime of that implant. So that was kind of our original use case. Um, what's, what, what I think is potentially more exciting, certainly from a, from a clinical, from a patient point of view, uh, is the application in, in conditions uh, such as oncological uh, conditions. Um, and a very exciting um, randomized control trial was published in JAMA and presented at the American Society of Clinical Oncology last year um, that showed uh, it was done by, done by a group at Memorial Sloan Kettering and showed that by implementing a, a solution for collecting outcomes digitally around the care of patients with advanced cancer, um, you could um, intervene or clinicians could intervene in the care of that patient to keep patients engaged with their chemotherapy and their radiotherapy, to keep them away from ED where they would you know, more often than not get admitted, um, potentially get a hospital-acquired infection, etc. Um, and the interventions that the remote data capture allowed actually kept patients alive uh, for an average of five months longer than the, than the usual treatment group. This is an example of you know, a proven, proven benefit in terms of the service redesign um, and improved clinical care that this sort of approach uh, can allow. So we're, uh, our organization, as a result, as a result of that, that um, uh, that trial um, has, has begun a couple of projects, one working with um, NHS Scotland um, to implement um, the solution around uh, patients with hematological uh, malignancies in a, in a particular hospital in Scotland, uh, another working with um, a national charity and also the, radio, uh, the Royal College of Radiologists to implement the solution around the care of patients with having pel pelvic radiotherapy. Um, both of those projects have started quite recently. And really the benefit or the, the aims of those projects are they're slightly different projects, but the, the, the overarching aims are similar. You know, how do we replicate that research to, um, to, to how do we implement the operational changes necessary to realize the benefits outlined in that research? So it's, it's less about how do we implement the tool. It's more what do we then do with the data? How does that affect the way that we organize the, our work? To start to, to start to produce some of those benefits. Oh, and then by the way, once we've got the tool in place, can we also capture that longitudinal regular data that allows us to draw those macro um, conclusions on variation in, in overall quality and opportunities to, to improve quality? So it's, that, it's replicating those individual benefits while also then getting that view for the first time on, um, on overall quality. Okay, thank you. Relative to the mortality on the oncology, you would say uh, this is the implication is the patient is uh, more engaged in their in their care and the provider is more responsive in a timely manner to their care needs. Would that be a conclusion? Um, I, well, I, I, I don't know. I don't know to be honest, David. So we, you know, we we see differing levels of, of interest and buy-in, and it's, it's not necessarily easy to, to sort of segment that by disease type or even funding type or provider type. Um, it's just a little bit more complex than that. Um, just to try and explain what I mean, um, the, in the private sector in the UK, 
which is roughly about 30% of care provision. Um, hip and knee replacements are a, you know, are a large uh, volume procedure that, that are done in that part of the sector. Um, and there's a new national mandate for collecting uh, patient reported outcome measures data. Um, so the whole sector, um, all of the uh, private hospital groups have to implement a solution for collecting outcomes data. They don't have to do it digitally. Um, some have. Uh, Three or four of our clients, obviously, you know, have, have, have adopted that approach. Um, and where they've done that, they've they've seen the national mandate and said, well, hey, well, you know, there's that national mandate I could address using pen and paper that will give me that, you know, quite blunt, quite um, um, not necessarily uh, comprehensive data set um, that will give me an idea of, of quality or I can implement a digital solution. And, and then they've, the way that that's then being implemented with success is to actually remind patients of the benefit of doing this, what it means in terms of their ongoing engagement with their surgeon, in terms of the, the provider's um, ability to stay in touch with them over the long term, um, and actually keep them out of unnecessary outpatient follow-up clinics. So, the, you know, so it, it really the success comes down to the motivations of the organisation um, and the, the effectiveness of that, of that implementation. Um, you know, I could I could well imagine flipping back to, to the world of oncology. I could, you know, I could well imagine that um, you know an oncology patient might be expected to be very engaged in the process. But actually, you know, if the system isn't um, set up to respond to those operational challenges of actually changing how it interacts with the patient, I can imagine a patient getting quite frustrated. You know, that they're reporting mm -hmm. variability in their symptoms, but isn't then being taken seriously. Um, so it really just comes down to a you know, case by case basis, you know, you know how how effectively um, and how you know, optimistic the implementation is. Thank you, thank you. That's helpful. I have to. This is a standard question. I have to feel I have to ask uh, in these conversations. And what what have you learned, or what's the data around uh, patient report outcomes correlating to uh, greater spending efficiency or lowering? Um, uh, as they would say, uh, uh, the rise in uh, the spending curve. Uh, what, are, what are we seeing? Um, honest, honest answer is early days. So what I can what I can tell you tangibly is if you take that orthopedic use case, which is our original, you know, going way back, uh, where we've been implemented for that uh, for that benefit of providing. Uh, long-term um, quotes virtual clinic follow-up, which, by the way, um, you know th the results of that initial project have now gone on to inform um, the uh, best practice commissioning guidance issued by the British Orthopaedic Association. So it's got it's got some national um, attention. You know, that pr providing a digital proms as part of remote follow-up is a is a second best to that long-term face-to-face surgeon consult. Um, where we've um, where, where we've been implemented with that intention, what we're doing is effectively reducing the cost of follow-up because remote follow-up is cheaper than than face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, we're not necessarily taking a huge amount of cost out of the system because the system was already operating in such a way that 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 face-to-face -face best practice follow-up just wasn't being provided. It just wasn't the capacity or the resource to provide it. So we're almost kind of stepping up in terms of quality, not necessarily uh, in that example taking taking cost out of the system. Um, the golden, you know, the golden egg for this for this stuff is that you, you know, of course, you know, articulated 
much better by you know, Michael Porter at Harvard Business School is that we start to shift how we organise care and we start to shift how we reimburse care to you know, wrapping reimbursement around the outcomes the patients are receiving so that we're only actually um, reimbursing uh, quality outcomes as reported by patients um, and not reimbursing poor or ineffective activity. Um, the extent to which we've seen that in the UK, very patchy as yet, to be honest. There's been a few attempts uh, at implementing uh, outcomes-based forms of commissioning, um, and many of those are, you know, are continuing, um, but still, still quite early days. Okay, thank you. The Michael Porter references, he would argue, we need to do a better job of measuring value or our outcomes achieved, as you noted, relative to spending. Um, so your work has been focused, moreover, in the UK, since you mentioned Porter, uh, PROMS, uh, the use of patient report outcome measures is spreading uh, throughout Europe. Uh, what, what's your sense or comment, or how can you comment on that? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly worth but worth mentioning um, ICHOM, which is the International Consortium of Health Outcomes Measurement. So they are a group um, set up at Harvard by, by Michael Porter's group uh, in collaboration with the Karolinska Institute in Sweden um, and the Boston Consulting Group. Um, and I think they came around in about 2014. So in the years prior to that, um, a big, another challenge that we, that we sort of touched on earlier is, is that um, there was a huge variation in which outcomes different physicians or different groups wanted to measure in which patients. So, by the way, there are about 2,500 clinically validated PROMS tools floating around in the clinical literature. So who's to say, you know, which, which, you know, which mm -hmm. tools are, are right for which patients? Um, ICHOM came along and with the aim of standardizing outcomes measurement and providing the answer or an answer. Uh, not just in terms of the questions that should be asked, but in terms of inclusion and exclusion criteria and time points for ongoing data collection, how you do that case mix adjustment and, and uh, comparison. Um, and ICHOM have, have gathered uh, the, the consensus and the buy-in of, of, of some, some significant players around the world, in the US and around the world, charities, providers, payers and governments. And I think most notably, I think what you're, what you're referencing is um, they've got the buy-in of the OECD network of countries, so the, um, the leading economic powers across Europe, um, who have basically acknowledged that you know, fee-for-service is broken and that a shift to value-based healthcare is inevitable. Um, and the OECD countries have signed a letter of endorsement for ITOM, and um, various different countries are, are starting to go ahead and, and roll out the adoption of, of the ITOM standards. Um, again, ITOM came around in 2014. You know, in healthcare terms, we're still early days, and you know, we're not we've not yet seen any of the ITOM standards um, mandated nationally. Um, so I should say that private sector UK does reference the cataract standard uh, for, from ITOM, so that you know, that has been has been introduced as part of that. Um, but we, you know, we are we are seeing greater greater take up now. Okay, my my uh, last question. Uh, obviously, I have to ask, your experience is valuable, uh, and as I mentioned in the intro, uh, here in the U.S., uh, the so-called market maker, the Medicare program, is increasingly, uh, however slowly, but increasingly certainly moving down this road, um, and in fact, several pay-for-performance programs that Medicare is running does include one uh, at least uh, one, and possibly uh, as many as two, uh, patient report outcome measures uh, in their quality performance benchmarking 
uh, having said that, what one or two uh, lessons from your experience can you draw to inform how the U.S. or let's limit to the social insurance and Medicare program should go about uh, doing this uh, intelligently? Far, far be it from uh, me sat, sat here in London to, to have any strong views about <laughs> the U.S. should Well, just healthcare. from your experience, but, mistakes that could be avoided or... or, or a, a, you did I talk think, about buy-in from organizations, of I course. Think, I think some of the, some of the, some of the you know, challenges and, and opportunities that we've seen at a small scale, we're you know, working with individual departments or hospitals, I think apply when you get it to a national level. And I think what, we've, what we have seen is you know, we, we saw 2013-14 uh, uh, the publication of really quite a contentious review of private healthcare, I've touched on. Uh, there's a review by the, by the Competition and Markets Authority, which is a, a, gov- a government body, um, that effectively concluded there was a lack of transparency on cost and quality in the UK private sector, and that that was fundamentally bad for patients and also for payers. Um, but you could argue that that conclusion might have been made of, of any mature healthcare system you know, mm-hmm. in the developed world. You know, it's certainly not unique to the UK private, system, private sector. Um, you know, it, it might apply, apply equally well to the, to the NHS or to you know, Medicaid, Medicaid, Medicare. Um, and what, what, what the organization that's, that's come into place to, to enact some of the uh, requirements uh, from that conclusion, uh, an organization called FIN, the Private Healthcare Information Network, is they've really taken quite a pragmatic approach um, to the resolution of the, um, of the quality transparency piece and implemented an outcomes program starting with 14 surgical procedures um, and, and really, really done it, you know, in that, in that stepwise way that we sort of touched on, you know, by, by, uh, by being robust that this is a program that's going to be implemented. But, but by then getting clinical consensus and also being pragmatic about what's achievable you know, in the short, medium, and long term. You know, so step one was that providers had to engage with, um, with developing or procuring a solution for collecting data. So earlier this year, um, they started to publish uh, publicly, transparent, transparently, you know, to consumers, um, the success, relative success of organizations in starting to collect outcomes. So that was earlier this year. What they've then said is that from this summer, they will start to publish um, success at a clinician level. And then they will start to publish uh, results at a clinician level. But all the while, providing that data back to those organizations and back to those clinicians um, to, to okay the data before it's published. So I think it is, you know, it's, it's about not being defeated by the complexity, you know, of, of doing this and not getting, um, you know, caught up in a lot of the very reasonable concerns, you know, around how do we segment our populations? What does case-mix adjustment look like? But being pragmatic and stepwise in, in what that rollout looks like so that in four years' time, six years' time, ten years' time, whatever it is, there is a program in place you know, that captures this data that, you know, at its, at its heart, most people can get behind you know, being, a, being an important missing part of the, you know, the quality, uh, quality piece. Um, and so that we can actually take steps to, to get there. So my, I think, my, you know, in summary, my advice would be to find a way to just start, uh, find an acceptable way to, to just start collecting that data and be, be very clear about how it will be used and how that program will, will, um, will evolve. Okay, thank you. And we talk a lot about, and you implied it in this answer, we talk a lot about in the U.S. transparency. 
and reporting um, uh, to the public uh, clinical performance. So with that, uh, Tim or Dr. Williams, uh, very appreciative for your time, this overview of patient report outcome measure work in the UK through your organization, My Clinical Outcomes. Appreciative for the overview. Thank you very much. David, thanks ever so much again for, for having us. Hope it's, been, hope it's been very useful. Thanks again. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.